Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I love Jesus. With, with all my heart, and which means I love people too. <laughs> you can't hurt me. You don't have the ability to. I love you. That's a big deal. It is. I've, I've lived for 19 years in the gospel. I've lived almost two decades burning. People told me, you can't run this fast. You know, you're going to burn out. I just couldn't understand why I would burn out if I'm burning up. And people told me, you know, this is not, you know, it's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. But that's not in the Bible. It's not. It's a race. And without the understanding of what grace is, you can't run the race. But grace is the empowerment of heaven. It's, I said it today in the staff meeting, it's the divine inspiration of God upon the heart with the outward reflection of God upon your life. Grace isn't just undeserved favor. Grace is the, it's the power tool of heaven that enables the truth to be walked out for the truth to be understood. And once you see the truth and you know the truth, it's the truth that sets you. There's no freedom apart from truth. Are you with me? It is the truth. And they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. It is all about the truth. Jesus came to reveal truth, the truth about the Father. The truth about him was the truth about the Father because he was the visible image of the invisible God, the express image of the Father. When you see him, you see the Father. So every time Jesus spoke, it was what God was saying because he never said anything apart from the Father. It's just this beautiful relationship, this intimate relationship between a son and a father. It's beautiful. And God's given us the same ability to walk the same way that Jesus walked, to live the same life that Jesus lived. But we don't have to head to the cross. We're supposed to carry ours. But you can't carry your cross unless you deny yourself. Denying yourself is the, is the privilege of every believer. We, each and every one of us, get to personally deny ourselves, pick, our pick up our cross and follow him. And self has a lot of stuff that needs to go. Would you agree? Would you agree? You know, I, I've had the privilege of walking with Jesus, like I said, for 19 years. But I had the great dark past where God took it away. He didn't just take it away a little bit. He removed it as though it never existed. See, I had 22 years of addiction. I had all the atheism and anger you could ever have. I mean, I was the worst of the worst. I was the, the black cloud, so to speak. I was a freight train for the kingdom of hell. And Jesus saw value in me that I didn't see. And not one person for 34 years ever approached me and shared Jesus with me. And the only reason that we won't do that is we fail to see who we are. Am I talking too fast? I got 23 minutes. I can do this. But I'm so excited for what Jesus wants. See, see, no matter if you're a pastor, you're an evangelist, if you're a prophet, if you're a teacher, it doesn't matter what your five-fold gift is. Every one of us are to be equipped as saints for the works of ministry. So the five-fold is to equip the saints, and if you're a saint, you're no longer a sinner. You were a sinner, but you got saved by grace, the empowerment of heaven through faith, so that you can live as a holy, set-apart one. And that word holy is amazing. I mean, God gave you the Holy Spirit because he actually expect us, he expected us to believe it. See, the Holy Spirit is what we got. We didn't just get a spirit, and you don't have the spirit of the world. You have the spirit of God who is holy. He's holy and pure, and there's no 
yuck in him. It's amazing. God wants us to be a holy and spotless bride. But it says in the book of Revelation that it says that God did not make the bride ready. It says, behold, the bride has made herself ready. Oh, here's where we're going to go because this is the biggest deal. See, I love the miraculous. I see miracles every day. I get to prophesy every day of my life. I see people healed on airplanes, in malls, in grocery stores, in drug stores, in everywhere, state buildings. It doesn't matter where I am, he is, and revival is inside of here. So nothing's going to stop that. But what if I live my life and gain my identity through what God did through me instead of what Jesus did for me? So we're faced with a dilemma because you guys are pressing into something unprecedented. This is absolutely unprecedented. The territory that you're stepping into right now. The territory you're stepping into is unprecedented. Very rarely have I been to a Wednesday night church service and everybody's coming and there's not enough chairs and everybody's hungry. Why? Because God's moving. It's amazing. But I need you to know and I need you to be cautioned because even though God's moving and actually we are the move of God because we don't have to pray for God to move, we just need to believe. Because when we believe, we automatically, the kingdom of God is available for us to further his kingdom and not ours. But it's also available for us. See, God doesn't hold restraints. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You don't have to repent to walk in a gift. That's why great moves of God have gone to the left gone to the right and they're remembered for the bad instead of the good where a man of God is burning and on fire for God and he's doing amazing and all of a sudden there's revival and then this man cheats on his wife and revival's over so the revival is remembered for the adultery instead of the the power of God and here it is, like God doesn't want us to bring dishonor to his name. God wants us to honor his name in our lives that we live. And it says to live a life worthy of the call. This is a hard subject because so many people have come out. How many of you have come out of religion? If you come out of religion, raise your hand. You were once, okay, so coming out of religion means that somebody preached holiness and was angry and didn't like people. You've got somebody that's up on the stage that doesn't even like people that's preaching holiness and separate yourself and this and that. And it's not a good taste because legalism never breeds health. It breeds unholy. Are you with me? Relationship and intimacy and actually saying that I love God means more than just seeing a blind eye open. It means that your natural eyes open, not from blindness, but from spiritual blindness. And you realize that one day you and I are all going to stand before God and answer for our life. Every one of us are going to stand before a seat called judgment. People are like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking of this before when you guys are praying for the sick and people are being healed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have something completely opposite. But the sick will be healed. But God wants us to have a severe reverence for who he is. He wants us to be, so, listen, there's a lot of people that don't believe in the miracles because they believe that Christianity with miracles is flaky. And, and honestly, Christianity with miracles can be flaky if your character's not lined up. But what if we had a character, what if we walked like Jesus walked in purity and power? And what if we didn't sacrifice one for the other? 
Because if I sacrifice purity and try to just go after purity but not power, I've got religion. But if I sacrifice, if I sacrifice purity and just go after power, I've got flaky Christianity. And honestly, it's not okay to be flaky. We need to be absolutely madly in love with Jesus to where our life when no one look, no one's looking matters more than our life when everybody's looking. I shared with staff today, I said, my life of intimacy with Jesus is way more important than my ministry for Jesus. Because if I sacrifice my life of intimacy, then I will gain my identity through the approval and praise of man. And if I live and gain my identity through the approval of man, I will die by the criticism of man. And I will go over here where people like me instead of preaching the hard stuff. And I don't know about you, but when I look at Jesus, he was the most amazing man, son of God, to ever hit the planet. No one was like him, and he preached holiness. He preached purity, and every sinner followed him everywhere they went. And this guy didn't compromise his life. There was no compromise. Sometimes we think we got to relax the standard just a little bit because i got to try to be culturally relevant. And the body of Christ has sacrificed truth on an altar of being culturally relevant. Now, if I want to reach people and, and the way I'm going to reach them is go to a bar and have a beer, what makes me any different? See, people are like, well, you know, he's touching beer. I mean, that's a legalist. Nah, if I love God, my life should show that I love God. Imagine Todd White, this guy that preaches the gospel who's already attacked for being a heretic. Get it? Heretic. So <laughs> I am like people come after me. Why? Because I believe the gospel. I preach the gospel. I preach repentance. I believe in righteousness. I believe that I am right with God. And it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what society thinks. Nobody can take away my right standing with my father. I believe the cross. I believe that the blood of Jesus didn't just forgive my sin, but remove my sin. I believe that the blood of Jesus made me a brand new creation and anything that happened in my life before Christ, God completely washed away, wiped it out and forgot it. And he'll never bring it up again. So since God wiped that out and washed it away, why would I sin and try to get away with it? <clears throat> Guys, you know the message of repentance is what Jesus told him to preach. He said, go and preach repentance and remission of sins in Luke 24. It's powerful. He told them, the disciples on the, way to, on the road to Emmaus. He broke bread, their eyes were opened. Then he said he opened their understanding. It's so powerful when you read this stuff. I'm like super stoked. So amazing. And Jesus said, go and preach repentance. What does it mean to preach repentance? Like when you are in a church where miracles are flowing and people are being healed and words of knowledge are happening and you think that repentance isn't something that we need to preach, but it is. Because repentance is changing the way that we think where I was going this way and now I'm headed this way. I was going away from God and I could be flowing with God. I could have the most deadly accurate prophetic words. Do you understand that you could get before God one day, stand before him and have healed a million blind people and have seen 400,000 people get out of wheelchairs and raised 100,000 dead people and stand before him and he can still say to you away from me, I never knew you. See, that scares people. This causes us to caution and to walk away from miracles. That's not it at all. I should go after the miraculous with everything I am. 
but I should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with everything I am. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be afraid of the miraculous. The miraculous is a byproduct of sonship. When I see that I'm a son and I see who my father is and I see that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and wants to quicken my mortal body. I see that God has given me everything according to life and godliness. I have everything. But if I just pursue power without the heart of Jesus, I can walk with great authority but not have love. Are you guys okay? All right, good, because we're just getting started, and I have a couple minutes left. I love this. I love God with all my heart. Lots of people are going to be healed tonight. Lots, it's just going to happen, because it's the byproduct. It's the, the disciples went and preached repentance, and God confirmed the word with signs following. Why? He confirms his own word. It's the amen to the gospel. It really is. It's amazing. I'm going to read a couple of sections of scriptures that I got. Just real quick, I put them down in my iPad so that I didn't have to. Because i got about 100 scriptures I want to read. Are you ready? Okay, Luke 24, 45. I'm just going to read through this, and I'm going to share testimony, and we're going to pray. You guys all right? All right. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Luke 24, 45. And then he told them, go and preach repentance and remission of sin. Remission of sin is removal of sin. It's absolutely, completely gone. John the Baptist told people, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away. He didn't say forgives. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So the reality of this is that when we get born again and we get saved, God didn't just forgive you. He forgot what he forgave and he'll never bring it up again. So in my life, as twisted and as crazy and as heinous and as dangerous as I was, and I'll try to sum up my testimony in just a couple minutes, Jesus didn't just forgive me a little. He didn't forgive me and then remind me later. He removed it as though it never existed. And every stain that came from addiction and the life that I lived that was in my body, he took out of me and healed me. My skin, my blood, my kidneys, my liver, my lungs, my brain, everything. Because if God's not going to judge me for where I've been, how can where I've been still judge me? He took it away. All right, check this out. This is going to be intense. I'm just going to read. Just follow with me. I'm not going to explain it. It's pretty self-explanatory. These are the words of Jesus. This is in Luke 12, verse 35. It says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves like men who wait for their master. And when he, then he, when, when he will return from the wedding, and that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So he's saying at any time of day, at any point in life, the master comes back and sees the servants doing what he called them to do. That is watching. But know this, if the master of the house known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Then Peter said, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise servant? 
whom his master will make ruler over his household and give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my, my master is delayed in coming, he begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at that hour when he's not aware and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. This is intense. We don't talk about this stuff much, but Jesus actually expects us to live the gospel. He expects us not just to be haphazardly lollygagging, so people speak, or just on cruise. We are expected to actually walk like Christ commanded us to walk. You have surrendered and you've given your life to something. You're not supposed to take your life back for you and live for yourself. You are supposed to completely give everything to Jesus. Are you with me? I'm, I'm kind of just dancing into the fear of the Lord. It's, it's beautiful. <clears throat> oh, gosh. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes, he shall be beaten with a few. For everyone to much is given from him, much more will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask all the more. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I've come to give peace on the earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is pretty intense. And it talks, about, it talks about the reality of somebody that is wholly given to God. Because when you're wholly given to God and you're given, I don't know about you, but when you start pressing into the miraculous, you start pressing into intimacy, you start pressing into relationship, you're going to be hated. We are in a culture where we need to be liked. When I can look at any youth on the ground and realize that it's about being liked today. To be cool, you need to be liked. TikTok, Facebook, you name it, got to be liked. The problem is, is the reason why we got to be liked is because we don't know we're loved. I mean, to be loved by God is everything. But understand this, Jesus talks about division. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword in another place. And he's talking about division. Yet it says, I've come to bring you peace, not peace like the world brings. The peace I have to give you, it surpasses understanding. It's the reality of the gospel. So the peace that righteousness gives me passes everything. And the reality of the, the, the ways that people come against you when you walk that out is real. Persecution is inevitable if you're preaching the real gospel and if you're believing that you can actually walk like Jesus walked. Because Jesus is holy and pure and lovely and perfect. Are you with me? I said all that to share this. I'm going to share my testimony in a very minimal period of time, but I want to talk to you about something tonight because I believe it's very, very important. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back sooner than later? Do you know that he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle? It's the only definition of the church. It's in Ephesians. It's so beautiful. A pure and spotless bride, right? We are required to actually make ourselves ready. God did everything to give the necessary ingredients for you to do so. So I was lost. How many of you have never heard my testimony? 
All right. Okay. Wow. Oh, geez. So, okay. I was lost. Now I'm found. Now you've heard it. Amen. Amen. It's true. Parents divorced when I was young. I was 11. Mom and dad got divorced. They put me in a children's home called the Masonic Home. So the Masons raised me from the time I was 12, 11 and a half to about 17. I didn't understand anything about it, but it's a cult and I was in it, but I had no idea. Drugs started at 12. After I got out of high school, I joined the Marines. I went into the military and went down to boot camp at Paris Island because I was trying to fix my life. Drugs resurfaced when I got out of boot camp and within two months later, I'm AWOL running away from the military. I ran out to Colorado. I got arrested six months later. I get put in jail. I got extradited across America. I got put in the brig and was in military prison for six months. I got out. I ran away again two months later. I hid for a year. I got busted again. I got extradited back across the U.S. again. I had no Christianity in my family. Nobody was Christians. Nobody knew Jesus. Uh, Nobody. So I didn't have anybody witness to me. And one of my heart cries is that we could all become witnesses and we could all share the gospel, walk in purity and power and give the devil a bad day every day. So I ended up getting extradited a second time. I ended up doing six more months in the brig. They took all my rank away, of course. Then they kicked me out, gave me a bad conduct discharge and tried putting that on a resume. That's not good. So I'm ending up clubbing, going to bars, doing what I got to do, trying to do drugs to make this thing feel better. I meet a girl in a bar. I trick her into thinking I'm amazing. She falls for it. We've been together a year and a half later. She's giving birth to our daughter. When my daughter was born, I became suicidal and told her six months after that, that if she left me, I would kill whoever she's with, kill her and kill myself. And no one dared to interrupt my life and tell me anything about Jesus at all. So she lived with me. My daughter went through this for seven and a half years. She lived with a dad that had no idea who he was. And I didn't know what mean, what it meant to be a father. My father's father died when he was five. My dad was messed up from Vietnam. I didn't have that figure. I didn't know, but God is that figure that I need in my life. So I, I jacked up everything. Seven and a half years later, my daughter's life came home. Girlfriend has a note saying, you know, mommy or my daughter wrote a note saying, mommy's never coming home. I went to her stepdads to get a rifle because I was going to put a bullet in my head. I was done. I was going to put it in my mouth and say goodbye. I picked up a phone book and flipped open to churches. When I opened it, I drove to a church. I met a guy that loved Jesus. And he said, since you don't want your life, why don't you give it to somebody that does? I had no idea what that meant, except, you know what, whatever, anything's better than this. Whatever, dude, if he wants my life, he can have it. After a couple of frustrated moments with listening to this guy share Jesus. And, I, and that was it for me. You know, I thought, if I brought this Jesus guy in, maybe he'll get my girlfriend back. So I brought him in to manipulate her back. So I called my daughter and said, Daddy found God. She said, what's he like? I said, I don't know. But I met a pastor that says that his God's going to change daddy's life. You get mommy to come home. Daddy's waiting. Click. And I knew it was enough to get her to come home. So she ended up coming home. When she got home, she told me, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. Now you're going to be one of those holy rolling blah, blah, blah. I said, never will I be a hypocrite. And then that first night, I'm sleeping on the couch. I put my daughter to bed. I'm out on a Coke binge the first night. And I'm out there doing the same thing. I had this Jesus incorporated life, but not surrendered. There's a difference between incorporation and surrender. 
And so, sure enough, man, I have this band. I mean, I'm a singer in a band, and I'm this guy. I'm the, the front guy. It's a hardcore band, and band practices at my house, and these guys are coming over. I got to tell them about my new deal, about Jesus. So all the guys are there, and we're getting pretty popular, and they come in, and I'm like, guess what, dudes? I gave my life to Jesus. They're like, shut up. Don't even say that name. They were totally anti-God. Like, And I used to be, but now I got this Jesus thing, and he kept my girlfriend from leaving. So now all of a sudden, all the guys are so mad and they quit that night because I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they're like, Ugh. they bailed. But I was talking about Jesus that night and they handed me a big joint and I'm smoking it with them, telling them about Jesus. No joke, this is real stuff. And I ended up like really ruining a lot of things. And so my best friend, Bobby, was my guitar player and he was totally against the gospel, but he was very passive. And he was like, hey, dude, you found what's good for you. I got what's good for me. We're good, bro. Hey, you found your thing. I got mine. And so for the next five and a half months, he was my only friend that would come over and talk to me, but he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And a couple months in, he said, Todd, don't you realize Jesus isn't real? Look at your life, bro. You're no different than any other Christian on the planet. My question is, is the life that you're living worth the price that he paid? Are you living a life that's worthy of the call? Do you know who God called you to be? Because if you do, your life's going to emeate that. People around you are going to know you are the real thing. But for me, I didn't know what the real thing is. But this pastor was the real thing, and I, I couldn't get to it. I wanted it, but I didn't know how. And I had learning comprehension disorder, so reading wasn't a part of the equation. And so I've never read a book before. I'm 34 years old, and I'm totally lost, and I'm getting high and partying and telling everybody about Jesus and going out there and using cocaine and doing all the same stuff, jacking life up and hurting people. And sure enough, this thing was really bad, and Bobby told me several times, don't you realize, man, Jesus isn't real? Drop the Jesus stuff. Stop talking about him. Look at your life. If he was real, don't you think your life would be different? Look at your life, man. Come on, bro. Just chill. It's you and me. You don't have to say that name. I said, yeah, but you got to meet this pastor. He said, I'll never go and see a pastor. I got you. You show me who he is. But yet he's telling me that there's no possible way. So sure enough, I had no idea how to represent. What does it mean to represent? It means to represent somebody. If I'm going to represent somebody, represent a company, I'm representing, I'm representing a company. I'm the, I'm the person that's representing. Well, it's more than a company. It's a person. And so sure enough, I'm as lost as can be, and I'm hurting people, and I'm destroying my girlfriend. Now she's like as far away from God as ever could be, and she is so mad at me. And I'm going to church on Sunday. Hallelujah singing with all my heart. People are like, ooh, glad they didn't pick me because I was lost, but I had a gift. But that gift, even though it was from God, I was using it to glorify me. And here I am, like the song would have been, I exalt me. That's not the song. It's I exalt thee. But here I am lost and I'm hurting and destroying people. But I'm in church. I'm going through all the motions, going there on Sunday. Like, how you doing, brother? Praise God, brother. Praise God. But inside, I'm thinking all the wrong things. And I don't realize that I'm a saint. I realize, like, I'm lost and I'm supposed to be found. But I don't know how to stop it. I don't know what the truth is. It's being told to me. But truth being told isn't what surrender is. Surrender is everything that you are for everything that he is. You're laying it down saying, I want you, period. Woo! 
but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to surrender. I, I wanted to, but I didn't know how. And this pastor was real. He was real. He was the real thing. And I was like, Dad, I just, I don't know how to stop. He goes, Todd, you need to believe the truth. And I go, what is the truth, man? Help me. So sure enough, I go out five and a half months later, ruined that stuff with my friend Bobby. I, I mean, I ruined it. I'm high and I got to go get my cocaine and I went out and I didn't have any money and I, I went and I called the dealer and my girlfriend's behind me in the car and I didn't know it. My daughter's there in pajamas out in the street. Get in the car, daddy. You promised you'd never do it again. I said, I know. I'm so sorry. I, I don't want to do it anymore. And my girlfriend, I hate you. I mean, just once again, nine years of, of hell. And sure enough, I got in the car and I'm like, I was going to go home and then I thought, I got to get my stuff. And I went out down the road, down the city and lost them. And I went down into a dark place in York, Pennsylvania on East Maple Street. And I picked up a 15-year-old thug. And I told this kid, after I got the drugs in my hand, that I was the cops, that he had the right to remain silent. And I'm ripping him off, ripping him off for all the stuff. I got the drugs in my hand. This kid's punching the dashboard. I said, get out of the car and put your hands on the hood. And he got out of the car, and when his leg hit the, hit the last part of the car, I hit the gas, and he spun around, and boom, 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 and he unloaded a nine millimeter at me from right outside of the window of my car, and mercy spoke to me. Mercy, and mercy said, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? And I had no idea what it was, but it was louder than the gun blast. And it was real, it wasn't fake, and it drowned out the gun. A nine millimeter at 10 feet is loud, a full clip is a lot. And here I am, I'm like, I gotta do these drugs, I'm gonna die, I gotta be shot. The guy was right outside, and I wasn't hit. And I did all these drugs, and every hit I took, the gospel, I took those bullets for you. Mercy touched me, and no, I couldn't get high all night long. I pulled into my driveway petrified. I, I looked at my car when I got out, and there was no bullet holes in my car from 10 feet away. And I was freaking out. I went to the door. She said, get out. I hate you. And, and man, I'm, I left that night, and I planned, and I was going to go to Teen Challenge. And there, a bed was opening up for me. I called my friend Bobby. I said, Bobby, I said, I just, I just got to tell you something, man. I just, dude, I, I got shot. And he goes, no way, dude, you're going to get killed. I said, well, the guy was 10 feet away. He goes, no way, what happened? And I'm sharing. He goes, Todd, are you hearing voices? When I told him I took those bullets for you. I said, yeah, man. He goes, oh, dude, you need help, man. I said, no, you don't understand. Like, this is real. This was God. He goes, God's not real. Look at your life, bro. If God was real, don't you think you of all people would be different? Come on. You're the one person I know that talks about Jesus more than anything. I said, yeah, but I don't know him. He said, what do you mean? You don't know him. You know about him, and that's enough. No. He said, he's not real. You're going to go away. Throw your life away. Leave your girl. Leave your daughter. What kind of a dad leaves his daughter, he said. I said, one that doesn't know who he is. And so I ended up, I told him, I said, can we hang out just for a minute? Like maybe a couple of minutes to say goodbye because I can't see you for a year. So I got to go away for a year. He said, no, dude, we can't do it. And I'm like, oh. So I ended up going to Teen Challenge. I surrendered. I had dreads before I shaved my head bald. I went into this program. And three days in to the program, I lost my daughter, lost my girlfriend. I lost everything. I went in there and I get this phone call. And the phone call was from the pastor. And he said, Todd, I need you to sit down. I need to talk to you. I said, what happened? He said, your friend Bobby, he said he had a brain aneurysm. I said, what is a brain aneurysm? He said, he's in a coma, and the doctors don't expect him to live. I don't understand healing. I don't understand anything. All I know is I was lost. <laughs> I stayed in Teen Challenge. I lost everything. And 
I went in Teen Challenge, and I was there for two months, and the Bible is the first book I could read. And it was, he showed me, he forgave me, and he loved me. And I'm fascinated, and, and two months in, I have three nights in a row where I have encounters with Jesus in dreams. And he tells me to go home and restore my family, but I have nothing left. So I left the program 10 months early, and I get to my house, and my daughter comes running out and held me. And for the first time in my life, I realized what it meant to be a father. See, anybody can be a dad because any dad can be a sperm donor. But it takes someone different to be a father. And I realized what it meant to be a father that first day. Seven and a half years, I'll miss seven and a half years. I'll never miss another day. And I'm holding her, and I told my daughter how sorry I was. She's, Daddy, you're home. And I'm telling her how I can't be there. And man, my girlfriend comes out and I said, I messed up your life so bad. I'm so sorry. I love you and I'm sorry. One day you'll forgive me. And she said, no, when you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, what? 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 She said, I, I encountered him. I've forgiven you. What? Oh my God. I said, I cannot live here. And I was so convicted because covenant is different than just boyfriend and girlfriend just living together. You're living together for seven years doesn't make you legally married. Covenant makes you married. Well, that's just a piece of paper. No, it's not. It's your agreement before God till death do you part. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to plan this. And Dan looks at us and he goes, you're not planning anything. We'll do it Sunday between first and second service. Really? So between first and second service next, that Sunday, we got married in between first and second service, and it's beautiful. But that day on my porch, I was so convicted about all the pornography and all the drugs and all the stuff that was in my house, and without anybody telling me, well, I wasn't moving in until after we got married, but I needed to go inside and clean that house. On that day, we decided we were going to get married. I said, I need to go in and clean some things up. And she said, sure. And so I went inside with a big, hefty bag and filled up all my junk all the trash, all the porn, all the drugs, all the stuff that ruled my life, man. And I took it out back with no one looking at me except the eyes of the Father. And I knew that he was looking at me because when you bring him in, he's inside, not outside anymore. And he sees everything that goes across your screen. And this fear of the Lord hit me where I realized that God loved me and I'm not doing this so that I don't use it again. I'm doing this because it has nothing to do with me nor me with it. And so I took it, I smashed it, I burned it, I worshiped Jesus, and I was so excited, and I was like, yes! And for 19 years, that thing hasn't even touched me, none of it, it's amazing. I'm a couple minutes over, but I want to share this one thing, and then we're going to pray, okay? So when I was in Teen Challenge, Bobby went into a coma. The day after we got married, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I need you to go and visit your friend because he was in a convalescent home hooked up on life support. And I walked into this place and he is in a hospital bed with his brain bulging out because of, a, because of this thing that was in his brain. And I said, I said, hey man, can you hear me? And he's dead stare, coma, can't hear me. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry. And his wife said, for what? I said, I never showed him Jesus. And she said, Jesus, look at my husband, and you're going to tell me there's a God? There's a Jesus? Shut up. And she's screaming at me. And I said, he's real. He's real. And I looked at my friend, and I said, he's real, bro. Hey, he's real, man. Can you hear me? He's real, but it's too late. You are here. 
for such a time as this. And you, listen, you got one shot at this thing. One shot at this thing. And if you allow the Lord to capture your heart, if you get into a place where you're like, I don't want any Bobbies in my life. I want to live my life out loud. I want to live a life worthy of the call. I want to burn with holy fire. I want to bring glory to his name. And I don't want his name to be blasphemed among people because of my life failures. I want to submit, surrender, and give everything to God. I don't want to do this whole sleeping around. I don't want to be in pornography. I don't want to be in drugs. I want to be done from this stuff. I don't want to have sin whisper my name. I want to hear him call my name because when he calls your name, sin no longer will have dominion in you and you will reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. I went and did this funeral. His wife asked me because Bobby died the next day. My best friend died the next day. And it gripped me because there's nothing I can do to go back. I'm not condemned, but I am convicted. I walk in conviction. And if you obey your convictions, you'll never enter into condemnation. Repentance is being convicted, realizing that this is wrong, saying, I don't want to go down this road again, and I am turning from this right now. God, you see and hear me, and the Holy Spirit will bear witness of that. He will clean out your trash. He will yank out your junk. He will transform you and change the way that you see yourself. He'll change the way that you see him, and he will completely rock your life, and you'll be surrendered. You will have a fresh new life with a clean conscience and a holy boldness to see God glorified in every situation that you do. I did Bobby's funeral and he had a three and a half year old kid and a seven and a half year old kid. They were both in the funeral home. And I went in and I watched this three and a half year old come up to that casket and say, Daddy, wake up. But Daddy ain't waking up. I didn't understand healing. I didn't understand any of that. What I did understand is I lived as a hypocrite in front of my best friend in the world. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know I was ignorant, but I'm not anymore. And God touched me.